Chapter Twenty Four of The Flint Heart by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four: A Message from the Zagabog. The king welcomed the visitors kindly and was concerned to hear of the bottle's bad health. In fact, he sent immediately for five of the court physicians, and the bottle retired with them to be examined, while other business went on. Charles and his sister were naturally rather anxious about Bismarck, but Unity had to think of the problem before the king, for His Majesty explained the situation all over again on her account, and then he asked her if any idea of importance occurred to her mind. In a word, concluded the king, the heart is a danger to society, and I confess that I can't for the moment see how on earth or under water or in the sky to deal with the matter. Unity put her finger in her mouth and frowned, which she always did when she had to think of anything difficult. Then, after a silence of at least ten seconds, she said, I wonder what the dear Zagabog would do. Everybody looked at the king, and when they saw him smile, they heartily and loudly applauded Unity. Woman's wit, began the king, has once more conquered a difficult situation. To wonder in fairyland is to know. We will hear what the good Zagabog would do. Set the wireless telegraphy at work instantly. The Zagabog is on the Riviera, no distance at all. Inform him that the Flint Heart has been captured after a struggle, that it is at present confined in a vacuum, and that the King of Fairyland wants to learn exactly what he shall do with it. The King then looked at his watch. It is now fifteen to six, he said. We shall get the answer at fifteen to seven, if not sooner. We will pass the time with a charade or two, and a cold collation. So the message was sent, and the charades were acted, and the cold collation was eaten. And then there came a bright and happy event for Charles and Unity, and indeed for everybody. The doors of the royal consulting-room were thrown open, and the five royal physicians marched out playing a rather charming little polka on their stethoscopes. And in the midst, radiant and gay and perfectly well, from his bright brass nose to the points of his toes, tripped the hot-water bottle. He had become a different person altogether, and instead of being limp and forlorn and dejected and full of holes and an object of pity to the kind observer, he was grown prosperous, stout, handsome, sound, and as good as anybody. His flat face was wreathed in smiles. He walked with a light and elastic tread. He shone all over, and his nose glittered like a star on a frosty night. Charles and Unity hardly knew him, and now he was so excited that he danced and threw a somersault or two and could scarcely contain himself for delight. He gave each a hand and kissed Unity warmly, for warmth was always his strong point. 
Then the senior physician explained that he and his companions had swiftly discovered exactly what was wrong with the hot water bottle, and that they had cured him while he waited. In fact, as Bismarck said himself, he was now as good as new, if not actually better. The king held a conversation with him, and was much interested at hearing his adventures and his manner of life. He inquired what the bottle's future plans might be, and Bismarck said that he had never given them a thought, because he considered that his career was as good as ended. It quite upset all his ideas to find himself hale and hearty and thoroughly well again, and fit for honest work. He said, I am fond of work, Your Majesty, and never so happy as when comforting somebody on a cold night. Then a happy thought struck the king. You shall stay with me, he exclaimed. In fact, as the weather is a thought chilly for the time of year, you shall come to bed with Her Majesty and myself this very night. And the bottle was so overpowered that he broke into verse, as he always did in the great moments of his life. For just think what a splendid fortune had overtaken him. One moment he was a poor, broken-down invalid, full of holes and misery, hanging by his handle on a nail in a stable, and the next he was cured by fairy physic, and not only found himself in splendid trim again, but actually invited to sleep with the king and queen. Well might he make poetry! Even his voice had much improved and he purred with shrill, clear accents as the kettle purrs when the spirit lamp is lighted under it at tea-time. Sing hey and sing ho for the jolly hot bottle, so soft and so plump and so kind and so warm, let the water be boiling right up to his throttle, and he'll cuddle by you and keep you from harm. Sure the king and the queen will forget all their woes when the jolly hot bottle is tickling their toes. Sing hey and sing ho for the bottle so knowing, so genial and friendly whatever betide. With him for a bedfellow you will be glowing, and warm as a toast though it's freezing outside. Sure the king and the queen will forgive all their foes when the jolly hot bottle is tickling their toes. After this capital song, the bottle was led away by the gentleman of the bedchamber to explain to them how his nose screwed off and other things that it was necessary for them to know. And just as he marched away at one door, after taking an affectionate farewell of Charles and Unity, there entered at another the wireless telegraph boy with a long message from the Zagabog and it would have cost a great deal to send had not the king, with his usual thought for other people, arranged that it should be prepaid. The herald opened it and read it to the court, and it was rather fortunate that Charles and Unity had stopped to hear it, because they were both mentioned. Thus ran the message. Hotel Royal, San Remo. To the King's Excellent Majesty, from his faithful friend and admirer, the Zagabog. In order safely and harmlessly to destroy the charm known as the Flint Heart, take one human boy, the boy called Charles, 
and one human girl, the girl called Unity. Choose a fine Friday morning before dawn, and bid Unity bear the flint heart in her pinafore to the cuckoo rock, where my friend the cuckoo always sits to rest when he arrives on Dartmoor for his summer holiday. Then direct Charles to bring the road-mender's biggest hammer and strike the flint hearts thrice. It will instantly become dust. Next, the king of fairyland must fling one pinch into the air. The queen must fling one pinch into the water. The Lord High Chancellor must fling one pinch upon the earth. All creatures at any time interested in the flint heart shall be present at the ceremony, and afterward the dawn wind will sing his song, and the sun will rise, and everybody must go home again to breakfast. Hoping this will find the king and queen of fairyland, as it leaves me at present, I remain their true friend, the only and original Zagabog. P.S. The Snick sends his love and respects. Tomorrow will be Friday, said the king, so why waste a week? Let my commands be sent out instantly for the cuckoo rock before dawn. Unity will bring the flint heart in her pinafore, and Charles will bring the road-mender's biggest hammer, and his father, Mr. Billy Jago, must also be present. Then the meeting broke up, and Charles and Unity went home with the flint heart, which was taken from under the bell-glass by a fairy of science with a pair of magic tongs. And the remarkable thing is that, though Unity carried the flint heart, she continued just the same little wandering, white, ragged robin of a unity as ever, and the charm did not make her the least bit worse than usual. Which shows one of two things, either that the flint-heart knew what was going to happen and began to get frightened and lose its power, or else that Unity's own little heart was too sweet and precious and altogether lovely to be troubled by the naughty charm. End of chapter 24